that. I'm going to invite you if you can. We've been in a series called Unstoppable, going through the book of Acts. And so I'm going to invite you to join me now. Acts chapter 8 and verse, amen, verse 1 through 4. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. Amen. And going to be reading just a few verses here. I pray that so far this this series has been speaking to you. Has God been has God been speaking to you? Amen. Amen. God's been speaking to his church. And um, the word of the Lord says, verse one, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. All throughout. They were were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison therefore those who were scattered went everywhere someone say everywhere preaching the word now I'm going to give you my title and that's not going to make a lot of sense right now but it will in just a moment it's inspired by a scene in nature and the title is this the blessing of the broken nest the blessing of the brokenness someone say in Jesus name you can be seated thank you thank you Lord when it comes time for a young bird to leave the nest and learn how to fly its mother does something unexpected and counterintuitive instead of charming them gently or luring them with food, the mother bird deliberately tears up and thrashes the very nest that once cradled her offspring. With her beak, she rips out the cushions and exposes the rough edges beneath this comfortable place that she has made like an incubator for her young turning this cozy nest into a heap of twigs. She understands that if her young ones are to reach their full potential, they must be shaken from the confines of their comfortable and complacent life. However, this higher purpose is not immediately apparent to the young bird. The young bird doesn't know what's going on. All it knows is that from one moment to the next, its world is literally being turned upside down. All it knows is that the place that it had grown accustomed to, this familiar place, this comfortable place, enjoyable place, this good place, is now a very uncomfortable place. It thinks for a moment, perhaps, that it's being punished 
Maybe you did something wrong to upset mom. Why else would mom do this to me? It assumes the mother may have turned against it. I thought my mom wanted the best for me. I thought she loved me. I thought she had big plans for me. And, and you know, I just can only imagine what that little bird might be thinking in that moment. Or perhaps just some strange, unexplained phenomenon is taking place. Some bizarre event is happening because there's just no way to explain why. But again, mama bird knows best. And what the bird doesn't realize, that young bird, is that it will never fulfill its true purpose and potential inside the nest. But only when it's troubled, only when it's pushed and provoked into spreading its wings, only then when it realizes that things aren't the way they used to be, only when it's easy and comfortable world is disrupted. The early church that we read about in the book of Acts and that we find in the text today and in this moment in early church history resembled that young bird in its young stage. It was comfortable in the nest of Jerusalem. Complacency was setting in as the church was enjoying their newfound favor and just loving everything that was happening around Jerusalem. So God, just like the mother bird in our nature scene, had to break apart or allow the nest that they were used to to be broken apart in order to provoke his church to grow. And some would say amen today. Acts chapter 5 through 7 recounts a gradual underlining simmer of opposition and hostility towards the church and towards Christianity, which up until this point had enjoyed uh, uninterrupted favor in Jerusalem. Now, there was something starting to surface. There was some trouble starting to brew, but it was all just sort of minor, just hiccups, bumps in the road, nothing too bad. And the church was, in many respects, in cruise control. It's kind of going through its motions, but the simmering came to a boil in chapter 7 with the horrific stoning of a dynamic preacher named Stephen. After Stephen delivered a bold and convicting message to his Jewish countrymen, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart and began to grind their teeth at him, gnashing their teeth, the Bible says. And what that means is that they were just angry. They were grinding their teeth. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of what they had heard preached so reverently, so eloquently, so powerfully by this young preacher. And they did the opposite of what they should have done, which was repent and ask God for forgiveness and be saved. So imagine 
Stephen preaches this masterpiece of a message, and instead of shouts of amen, all he got was stones being thrown at him. <laughs> That's not much of an altar call. Not much of a response, and yet that's exactly what happened here with, with Stephen. And so he's stoned, and there he is thinking, you know, th this is not what I thought, but yet as the stones are falling upon him, he looks up and he sees the vision of, of Christ standing at the right hand of God. And, and then one by one, the witnesses of this horrible event laid their cloaks down at the feet of a young, influential Pharisee known as Saul of Tarsus. Just laying the foundation here, if, that, if that's all right. We need to understand what's going on here in, in this chapter and, and how the events are starting to shift and the tide is starting to shift, at least in the, in the, in the physical. And so... One by one, they started laying down their cloaks, and this is symbolic. This was something that was done in uh, ancient Middle Eastern times. They would take the cloak, and they would throw it at the feet, and this was a sign that they were a, a, a true witness of what they had seen. And so they did that one by one, and they did that at the feet of this influential, zealous um, Pharisee named Saul, who evidently casted his vote for the stoning of Stephen. When the Sanhedrin got together and they voted, or at least they all talked among themselves, should we stone this guy or not, Saul was consenting. He lifted his hands. He said, I'm putting my vote in favor of getting rid of this guy for good. And he used this, this tragedy, Saul, to then launch a very vicious and rabid crusade against Christianity. He thought, this is the moment right now, now that everyone's afraid, now everyone is um, concerned and in a state of disarray, in a state of confusion, uh, heartbroken and, and, and just distraught. This is the moment, Saul thought, that I'm going to launch the greatest most vicious and vile attack that I can against this thing called the church. And that's exactly what he did. And what seemed like a sign of the end, what seemed like a sign of that it's over, a broken nest, was but the beginning of a new era of growth for the church. It had the exact opposite effect that Saul thought it would have because instead of the church giving up and saying we're not going to preach this message anymore they were filled with holy boldness and courage and faith and said we are going to keep marching forward in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ somebody give God some praise today hallelujah but the thing we must understand church I got two main points today, just two, but they're big ones. Is how they got to this point to begin with. And the first point is that complacency keeps us in the nest. Someone say complacency. Complacency. You see, it's human nature 
to want to settle in to something that feels good. To kick back and to just enjoy. Take your eyes off of things and just revel in the moment. But in a church context, comfort is antithetical to the mission that God has given us. It's opposite to the mission. Because as we settle in and get comfortable in church life, the focus can easily shift from growing to simply maintaining. From expanding the kingdom to just holding down the fort. From being a growing church to just having good church. You know, there's a difference between being a growing church and just having good church. You can have good church and yet not be growing. You can be in a comfortable or predictable routine of church life and there is such a thing. Find your rhythm. Find your flow. Find your groove. Say, I like the way that things are right now. I like how things are moving. And, and this is kind of like, this is my vibe right here, you know. <laughs> I like this. And you can get that same mentality with the things of God and with church. And this is exactly what happened with the church of Jerusalem. I, I need you to understand what's going on in Jerusalem right now. Right before these moments sort of blew up in front of them, Jerusalem was the spiritual hotspot. It was high energy. It was the talk. It was the church of Jerusalem. The, we'll call them the, the first church of Jerusalem. First apostolic church of Jerusalem. Huh? La primera. The first. Uh-huh. You know, those churches that call the, call the first, they really like to be the first, don't they? We're the first church. Nobody wants to be the second or the third. The first apostolic church of Jerusalem, it was the happening church. It was the place to be. It was the church to attend. They had a solid program. They had lots of activity. They were bustling with church activity. The fellowship was lively. You wanted to be there. If they were having an activity, you wanted to be there. You want to check in. The miracles were mighty. The power of God was great. The grace was very attractive there. And great things were sort of taking place in the first church of Jerusalem. But while everyone was abuzz about what, what God was doing inside the church, and it was all wonderful, they had forgotten about those outside the church. They were so busy having church that they forgot that there was a mission that God had given them to grow the church outside of the confines of Jerusalem. Mm, hallelujah. Amen. Someone say amen today. The church had become too inward focused and was neglecting the command that Christ gave in Acts 1 verse 8 where he said that when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will be witnesses to me. Amen. You're gonna, how many of you know God's called us to be a witness? Amen. You're going to be witnesses unto me. He said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, of the earth, he said, you're going to take this gospel, this experience, this Holy Ghost, this revival, 
You're going to take what you receive here in the upper room and you're going to expand it outside of these walls. Praise God. And that's the mission that Christ has given the church both in the first century and in the 21st century. The mission of Christ has not changed. Amen. I said the mission of Christ has not changed. The mission that God gave his disciples then is still the same mission that ought to push and drive us today in the year 2023. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something today, church. I need to just be real. I need to level with you today. The church does, or excuse me, the devil does not have the power nor the authority to stop the church of Jesus Christ. He can't stop it even if he wants to stop it. If he got every devil in hell and every kingdom of darkness to rise up against City Light Church and launch an all-out attack, he would fail. Because the church of Jesus Christ is victorious. The church of Jesus Christ is triumphant. Somebody shout hallelujah today. Jesus said upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No power, no principality, no rulers of darkness of this age, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. None of that can stop the church of Jesus Christ. The world and its secular systems cannot stop the church. They cannot. And in every generation and in every time period, there's been an attempt to snuff out the church. And those attempts have failed. So the devil, hell, the world and its systems, none of those things can stop the church. The only thing, get ready, that can stop the church is the church. <laughs> the only thing that can prevent a church from expanding, oh God, that can prevent a body of believers from growing up and growing out is us. Oh, my Lord. Can I tell you today that the devil is not afraid of a lukewarm church? Who, my Lord. Can I tell you that the devil and the forces of hell are not scared at all of a lazy saint? But he is terrified he shakes in his boots at the thought of a fervent church who loves God and loves the lost. If there is one thing that gives hell a panic attack, if there's one thing that makes the devil nervous, is a church that knows who he is, is a church that is full of fire, is a church that is ready to do whatever it takes to expand the kingdom of God. Come on and clap your hands. Somebody give the Lord about a few seconds of praise right now. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Listen to what Jesus told the church of Laodicea, one of seven churches that he writes to in the book of Revelation. He writes this, Revelation 3, 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Hmm. 
Jesus said, one or the other. Hmm? Like, can I just pause here? Like, if you're going to be a sinner, then be a good sinner. Like, if you're going to sin, then go all out. <laughs> no, I'm not promoting for you to go sin. <laughs> but in the eyes of God, it's better for you to be a cold, godless sinner than to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Oh, come on. In the eyes of God, he said, I'd rather you be cold, cold, or hot, hot, but not in the middle. <laughs> so then, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. God is saying, I cannot stomach. I can't keep down a church. I can't keep down a lukewarm church that is spiritually stuffed and stagnant. That can't make up its mind what it wants to do. That can't make up its mind who it wants to be. Woo. Can't make up its mind what it's, what it's about. And I, you know, God said, look, if you're hot, be hot. If you're cold, be cold. Now, we usually stop at verse 16, but I feel to go a little further. Let's keep reading in verse 17 because this kind of qualifies why the church of Laodicea or any church is in that state. Because you... Say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The Lord said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. The church of Laodicea, like many today, were not lukewarm simply because of sin, but because of satisfaction. Hmm. They were satisfied. They were focused on the material, not the spiritual. They were living comfortably. Evidently, this, this church of Laodicea had, had experienced some kind of... Uh, uh, prosperity, blessing, and favor in, in their world, in their environment. They, I don't know if they, you know what kind of houses they lived in or cars they drive, but apparently these were a blessed people. These were people who didn't have a whole lot of needs. They were doing pretty well for themselves, and they were uh, they they were doing well. And and I guess that because they were doing so well, they they supposed that they didn't need anything. And, and Jesus comes and interrupts them and says, "But but the the reality is, uh, you think because you have." this and because you have that that you've got it all made and I'm here to tell you that you're poor and you're naked so how is that possible because you have neglected that which is most important your focus is all on the natural your focus is on the material and you forgot that God is spirit and you forgot about your mission and your purpose you lack purpose God was telling them and then he said, if you really want to be wealthy, if you really want to be rich, then this is what you got to do. you got to buy from me gold that's been refined in the fire. And I love that picture. I love the image that Christ uses because this image of gold being refined in the fire is a painful image. When you think of gold going through the fire, it makes you uncomfortable. It hurts and it's painful and it burns. But Jesus is telling them, if you want to get from where you are to where I'm calling you to be, 
If you want to go from stagnation to expansion, then you've got to be willing to go through the fire and be shaken up a little bit and be ruffled up a little bit and be made uncomfortable. And then and only then will you see what true spiritual richness is all about. This brings me to my second point. I told you I only have two. And it's this, that pain pushes us out of the nest. Complacency keeps us in. Now, I wish I could tell you that good sermons was all it took to get people out of the nest. I wish I could tell you that just the latest song was enough to get somebody out of the nest. I wish I could tell you that good programs and nice activities and uh, cutting edge ministries and all those types of things that I wish I could tell you that those things were enough to get people out of the nest. I wish I could tell you that attending a, you know, a certain kind of conference or hearing from a certain preacher, that, that these things would be enough to get us out of the nest. But the reality is, it takes pain. Someone say pain. <laughs> Heartbroken over the loss of Stephen. If I can just paint this picture for you, what's going on with the church again here in Acts 7 and 8. They're heartbroken over the loss of Stephen. They're bracing for Saul's rampage against the church. These believers had an important decision to make. They could either go underground with their faith closed and close down shop. Or they can rise up in the power of the Spirit and get back to the business of revival. Hmm. They can pack up and go home, or they can pack up and launch out. But thankfully, they chose the latter. Thankfully, they chose, we're going to use this as an opportunity to grow. But before they did that, and before they could devote themselves to this effort, notice what it says in verse 2. This isn't just a footnote in verse 2. I believe it's included as a part of the experience of what the church goes through. The Bible says in verse 2 that devout men, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation. Over him. You see, before the church could move forward in the purpose that God had given them, they first had to bury their beloved Stephen, a man who served his purpose, and his life, no doubt, forever marked the church and left an impression upon those whom he worked with and encountered. But they needed, the church needed to bury Stephen in order to move on. They needed, and, I, and I believe that this is more than just a footnote. I believe there's a spiritual truth conveyed here that we all need to see. The Holy Ghost showed me that sometimes there are things that we need to bury in our lives in order to move forward in our purpose. Who, my Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. God allowed them to lament. He said, I need you to say goodbye to Stephen. I can't have you hovering around what was. I can't have you setting up camp and enshrining 
something that served his purpose, something that was good in the season and in the time that he was here. It was wonderful, but Stephen is now gone. It's not the same anymore. It had a purpose, and it was fulfilled, and now it's gone. So go ahead and cry. Go ahead and lament. Go ahead and feel the full grief of this loss because we know it's not easy. We know it's hard, but you're going to have to bury Stephen. You're going to have to lower him down so that you can progress forward because if not, you will get stuck in your grief. If not, you will be paralyzed and not move forward and you'll never, you'll never see the greatness that I have for you. And there are times in our life church if I can just tell you right now where the same thing happens to us but too often I have seen people instead of bearing that thing and bearing that pain or bearing that misunderstanding bearing that disappointment bearing that thing from your past bearing that they get stuck there and they never move on and they hang their harps upon the willow trees and they sit songless and idle at the rivers of Babylon and they, and they forget that God said, okay, God sent me here to remind somebody that it's time to get over whatever it is that you've been sad about, that you've been angry about, that hasn't worked out, and get back. Come on now, somebody, to the mission that God has given you. Come on, can somebody give them some praise today? Can somebody give God some glory today? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now talking to somebody. I'm reminded of when God told, when God told Samuel, who is grieving over Saul. He says, Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? He told him, why don't you fill your horn with oil and go anoint the next thing? God said, how long? How long are you going to mourn? How long are you going to talk about what didn't work out? Come on now, somebody. Oh, how long, you know, sometimes you talk to somebody about future things and, and possibility, and it just automatically reverts to, well, I know, but if this had happened. Hey, you got to get your head out of the past. You got to get your mind off of what didn't work. You got to get your, oh, my Lord, get your eyes today off of the thing that is now over and say we've got a world that we've got to reach. Come on now. Now, somebody, I've got a calling, I've got an answer, I've got a purpose to fulfill. How many of you believe today that God has given you a purpose? I said, How many of you believe today that God has given you a purpose? How many of you know in the very fiber of your being that you've got something that God wants you to do? How many of you know in the fiber of your being that God put you on this earth for a reason? Come on now, somebody, that God put you on this planet so that you might express His glory and you might expand his kingdom. Come on and give him some praise right now. I'm just about done. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just worship him for a moment. Come on, let's just thank him for a moment. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Ah, but God. God didn't just make me fearfully and wonderfully so I can just sit there and look cute. Oh, my Lord. God didn't just sit there. Or God didn't just make me and design me with the abilities that he has, with the giftings that he has. Come on. Every one of you is gifted in the name of Jesus. Come on now. Come on. Someone say, I'm gifted. Oh, you're a little, a little better than that. You're being bashful. Say, I'm gifted. 
That's right. You're giving God praise when you say that because God gave you those gifts. And you're thanking him, saying, thank you, Lord. God not only gifts you, he anointed you. Oh, my Lord. Somebody say, I'm anointed. Hey, come on. I said, somebody say, I'm anointed. If you're not sure whether you are or not, then you better make sure by the end of this service that you got that anointing on your life. Hallelujah. You have been gifted. You have been anointed. And you are appointed of God. That's right. You're dangerous. Whoo, my Lord. You are dangerous. This ain't no little fluffy social club, little religious club. You know, no, no, no. We are an army of people that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might show forth the praises of him. We are that generation. Come on, somebody say, I am that generation. My God, I feel something in the Holy Ghost. I am that generation. I am that chosen generation. I am that royal priesthood. I am a child of God. I am that person. Oh, my God. And yes, it's going to be painful. And you know what? God is allowing some of you to experience some discomfort right now. I say this in the Holy Ghost as I bring this to a close. God is allowing some of you right now. You're experiencing discomfort. Discomfort in one area of your life or another. But God said this. I've got to allow this to happen. Oh, my Lord. i got to let you know that this trial is producing something in you. I got to let you know that this trial is purging you. Oh, my Lord. I got to let you know that I'm tearing apart the nest that you've become so accustomed to. Oh, I'm allowing your world to get rocked a little bit. I'm allowing that boat to rock a little bit. I'm allowing things to rock at the workplace and rock at home and rock in the different places where you go so that you will get too comfortable and too stagnant and too complacent I need to tell somebody right now that your trial is producing a treasure I need my God I feel the Holy Ghost right now I need to tell somebody right now that God is pushing you into being a witness like you never have before oh I learned a long time ago every time a friend breaks my heart that's God's way of telling me I got something better for you hey you got too comfortable in that relationship you got too clicky and too gangy in that relate and you forgot about those on the outside so I let your friends turn their back on you mm, my god I let people talk about you so that you would realize that's not where you belong you belong in the field whoa my god come on somebody better preach with me here today you belong outside come on would you just give God some praise stand to your feet church right now hallelujah